1: Welcome to On Boys Parenting Podcast, the podcast that explores and explains boy behavior. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net and Janet Allison, founder of BoysAlive.com.
0: Do you know a boy or a man who has been deemed too sensitive or too emotional Well, this podcast today is going to reassure you that it's okay. There are men and boys who are thought to be highly sensitive. And this message today from our guest will help you understand him and open up new avenues of conversation. We'll get started with that dynamic conversation Right after this message from our sponsor. What if I told you there is a totally new way to go to school, whether your fourth to eighth grader looks forward to going to school or they complain constantly about being bored, Prisma is an online alternative to traditional school for those fourth to eighth graders. Prisma knows that most of today's kids will end up working in jobs that don't even exist yet. So they focus on developing the necessary 21st century skills like creativity, critical thinking, and collaboration, rather than having kids memorize facts and take standardized tests. Prisma offers a flexible curriculum that adapts to every child's interests and learning speed. You know that Jen and I often talk about how important it is to encourage your son's own unique passions. Prisma's expert coaches do just that. That means your child gets to learn what they're curious about, and they're never left behind. Prisma is an innovative online school for fourth to eighth graders, giving them the flexibility to be their best selves while developing the skills they need for a successful future. Admissions for fall 2021 are now live and filling fast. Go to joinprisma.com to schedule a call or learn more. School just got a whole lot more interesting. That's joinprisma.com. And now on boys. Do you know a boy or a man? or maybe you are one that has been deemed too sensitive or too emotional. This often carries the subtle message that if you're a male, you aren't man enough or masculine enough, just simply because you happen to experience a broader range of emotions and may feel easily overwhelmed with too much input with 10% of all males thought to be highly sensitive there are boys and men walking around that have gotten the message that somehow they are less than or not quite right and yet interestingly enough these are the the qualities of a highly sensitive male are the qualities that many women value confusing you bet our guest today is a highly sensitive male and his book helps us understand the dilemma of the highly sensitive male and how we can all recognize that these are valuable characteristics that we need more of. Welcome, William Allen.
2: Thank you, great to be here.
0: Great to have you. So when did you first notice that you were perhaps more sensitive than the other kids around you or family members?
2: Well, you know, I think uh, most highly sensitive uh, people recognize pretty early on that they don't sort of fit a mold, especially boys, because boys are supposed to be a certain way and certainly less emotional. So for me, I thought, you know, as a young man, very young, that uh, there was something different about me. It got reinforced because I've heard the, the term as you were putting it in the intro, you're too sensitive, or mm-hmm. you need to be tougher, or you need to man up, or any of these kind of pejorative ways of telling me I wasn't fitting the man code.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: uh, so I learned probably pretty early on four or five years old, I started noticing that. Um, and what
1: were some of the things that you were sensitive about so you know there's there's different ways of expressing sensitivity Mm -hmm. um some people you know feel music deeply are moved by art when you were a kid how did your sensitivity tend to manifest itself in ways that attracted other people's usually negative attention
2: criticism that was probably one thing that i got a lot of uh, criticism if i received criticism usually would be accompanied by a kind of withdrawal or maybe tears uh, not knowing what to how to reconcile that with who i thought i was and so that tended to be the case And see i grew up in the south in the 50s late 50s early and 60s in the early 70s which as i put in a book it was sort of a militarized idea of what a man's supposed to be really tough sort of drill instructor hardened but kind of person yeah, yeah. And so it's very easy as once I started getting out into the world, and that is at the time I started going to school, I started running into that kind of thing where I wasn't seen as being tough enough. You could hear it from a lot of times from male figures, uh, could be from religious figures, or it could have been from Boy Scout leaders, or it could have been from coaches of athletic teams. But that's really when I started to notice that, that I was different. And it was usually in a form of criticism and too sensitive, those words seem to be paired too often together.
1: Your experiences in mm-hmm. school, can you give us some for instances? You okay. know, where you where you attracted that criticism for being too sensitive, or really the underlying message is you're not right, Bill.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know i like to i like to use this example and i think i may have put it in the book as well when i was in about the third or fourth grade we had a school play and the school play was about george washington or about that period of time because i was a, an intelligent kid and i had a really good memory as many highly sensitive people do i became the narrator and so of the play so of course i was the first kid out the shoot the curtain hadn't opened they'd stuck me out there Very nervous about it. Was very self-conscious about my lines and so forth and so on. I walked out there. I had this cotton wig that my mother had cobbled together. It was falling apart as I was going out there. I had this sort of modified 18th century costume on that was made from blue jeans and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I (laughs) really looked very silly. Uh, But at the time, I was very serious about it because I wanted to get my lines right. The minute I walked out on the stage... The entire audience, which was the kids in the school, busted up laughing and you could just hear their comments and everything else. I got out there and I did my lines. I nailed it. I I stuck with it, but I must have turned about 15 shades of red. Mm -hmm. But the idea was that I took that criticism, that laughing is criticism personally to me. Mm
0: -hmm. It was
2: like I wasn't doing something well. And mm-hmm. that's kind of the, the, the root of the criticism that I would take throughout those years I was growing up is I was not encouraged to externalize some of these things, these beliefs I had about myself to the outside world. And When I did, a lot of times I get pushback, negative yeah. pushback, right? Yeah. So it made it difficult for me to be more of the kind of person who would externalize and, and test things in the world, which is like mm-hmm. something I really think highly sensitive boys need to do more of. Because as I got older and I learned about doing this more often, trying it out in the real world, I found out, you know, some of these ideas I had about myself are not real. They're not true.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I am a likable person. I am somebody that can fit in if I, if I need to in a situation or whatever. And so that little example is an example of how a highly sensitive child very often because they're very, they live a lot in their heads. Mm-hmm. It's a very internal experience. Don't always have the opportunity or encouraged enough to externalize the it in the world. It's like you have a hypothesis about yourself, but you've never tested it. So you really don't know.
1: So in that experience is like your internal perception, I'm assuming was that they're laughing at you. Yes, of course. And, yes. and, you know, with, you've already had and been marinated in these messages that, you know, you're doing things wrong, Bill. So you just held that in rather than talking about it with somebody who right. may have been able to point out, you know, it wasn't, maybe, maybe it wasn't you. Maybe it was, you know, come on,
0: come look at this wig in the mirror. It yeah. It is kind of funny looking.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: So how, how do we help our, Uh, listeners out there who are parenting highly sensitive boys. And how do you get them to open up to have these conversations?
2: Well, I think Jen really nailed it. I think you have to get, you know, because as a parent, you're a trusted figure in the child's life. So the idea is to get them to start doing more of that externalization. Uh, I mean, this happens with adult HSPs as well. I know that even now I'm still learning to be able to do that more and more. But the idea to talk it out, bring it outside of you, bring it up and test it up with somebody else like a parent, gently encourage them to do this, right? Mm -hmm. And then a lot of ways I think we need to, uh, as I put it, uh, gently challenge them for doing this kind of thing more and more in their life. Mm -hmm. You really don't know if an internal belief, whether you're HSP or not, is true unless you test it in the real world. And being able to do that is, I think, a gift that you can give that HSP boy or that HSP girl. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because once they start to realize, you know what, you're different, but you're not abnormal. You're different, but you're not something that is a a cast off from society. In fact,
0: the emphasis should that we need your be. qualities. Absolutely. I, wanted, I want to just back up a little bit because our sure. listeners might be like, so what exactly is a highly sensitive person? So can you run through the definition of highly sensitive? How do we actually know our, we or our children are highly sensitive?
2: There's one great way to find out, uh, and I'll, I'll go into what is considered to be the kind of gold standard definition for high sensitivity. If uh, if there's some question about whether you think your child is a highly sensitive person, I would recommend very highly to go to Dr. Elaine Aaron. Her site website is hsperson.com. And on there, there are two tests, one for adults, one for children. You can actually take the test for your child. You don't have to have the child do it. Um, this will give you an indication if the child is sensitive based on the test. That would be a good starting point. Some of the things about high sensitivity is as Dr. Erin has um, an acronym she calls DOES. D D-O-E-S. is stands for depth of processing. Now, this is something that we know to be true, and there's more testing that's being done that highly sensitive people take information in and they process it at a very deep level. They use very different parts of the brain which they're now showing are hardwired for highly sensitive people to do this kind of depth of processing. So even if it's an emotional experience or whatever, there's this tendency to do a deep dive, right? You're going to mm-hmm. you're going to go way down with stuff. The the pushback in the real world would be you're overthinking things, but that's mm-hmm. not really true here. Mm -hmm. There is such a thing as overthinking, but in this particular case, highly sensitive people do a lot of deep, deep processing. That's where we get a lot of our intuition and creativity from, is from this deep processing.
1: I like what you said about it being uh, evidence showing it's hardwired, too, because to me, that's evidence that this is how you are. This isn't, I'm not choosing to react yeah. this way i'm not exactly. choosing to process this way this is how my brain is constructed my brain is a little bit different from your brain from janet's brain and we need that in the world if we all thought and processed the same way we would only have we'd be so limited in our ideas and in what's exactly. possible
2: exactly yeah and the trait itself is genetic but it is hardwired and, and like i said more and more studies i, I think i called that out in the book too that that's what we need more of. And those are these kind of functional MRI, uh, magnetic resonance imaging b- studies that show what, what areas of the brain light up under certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. That shows, and it's starting to show, it's building evidence that this is, like we said, a, the hardwired kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it is the way you are. You're not going to change an HSP person into something else because that's the way their brains work. Mm-hmm. and nature has designed it that way. We can maybe talk about that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. The second characteristic is overwhelm, which is something that probably is the first thing a parent will notice with their child. It's like a tidal wave of emotion, a tidal wave of thoughts, tidal wave of, of, of internal processing that causes the HSP individual to want to sort of stand down, retreat, Regroup. Uh, these are all things that we need to do. That's a, a, a natural process of, of how our brains work. Is we need to take the time to to regroup and have that space to do that. So Overwhelm. It may show as an emotional reaction. You know, I know as a kid, I would I get real weepy, crying, all this kind of stuff. If it was a shirt that didn't fit right because it felt scratchy, Funny. or yeah. I didn't like the way certain food tasted because the texture didn't feel right in my mouth.
1: I still have that problem. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do.
2: Just now getting to eat to the point where I could eat fried eggs. So I, you know, it was something I could never stand the taste of, but Interesting. yeah.
0: Interesting. So, it, I mean, it could look like in that little boy, it could look like a tantrum or it a meltdown. It could look like a
2: tantrum. And the, the, the reality is if you can imagine you're giving this little child a brain that processes a great deal of data, right? And they're processing it very deeply naturally. And some of the times it gets over overboard and out of control. Yeah. They have no adult brain to go, okay, what I need to do is go take a timeout, go sit over in the corner. Right,
1: And I think this is so important. Not only do they not necessarily realize that they're not in control of their time and what and they input. do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Like so often as parents, as well-meaning adults, we're just, we have the schedule for our kid. We got to go here. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And as an adult, you can advocate and say to your friends, to a partner, Hey, I need to take some time. Exactly. Your four-year-old tells you that. And you're like, put your shoes on. Exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly right. <laughs> of course. nerve overwhelmed in and of itself by the fact that they're overwhelmed they don't know what to do right the third letter uh which kind of leads off of the second one is e and that stands for emotional reactivity you know highly sensitive people tend to be more emotionally vested in things that happen in their environment <laughs> right if you hear so, me
1: laughing um my husband and i have been watching a tv show It's Shameless. It's on Netflix right now. If anybody wants to watch it, do not watch it with your children in the room. Highly inappropriate. Okay. What is it? It's a whole bunch of people making really bad choices, and there's a lot of nudity and sex. What's the name of it? Shameless, I said. Oh, okay. (laughs) We can cut this out. (laughs) But... I am so emotionally invested in these characters. They're like my people. And I think yeah. about them on days that we don't get to watch. Like, I wonder how they're doing. And I understand they are fictional, but I am like, I'm emotionally invested.
2: Yeah. And that, that happens a lot, it, it not only for things like looking at art uh, or, or being a part of something like that, a moving musical piece or. Yeah or even an emotional you know, relationship with someone, they we tend to get really overly invested in it. And we do have more externalizing of those emotions. That's another way you can tell a person uh, might be highly sensitive. The other part of the E is empathy, because that really is something that we are very much, uh, a part of our character is that we're very empathetic people. And a lot of that has to do with the mirror neurons in our brain which is where we mirror back what somebody else is doing we're looking at their their body posture we're looking at what they're saying we may be looking at little subtle nuance things that they do that other people just blow off right they don't pay attention to highly sensitive people do that they pay attention to those little little small environmentals and that creates a, a empathetic response in us towards people that we're with or around. And finally, the last thing in it is uh, the sensory, I just call it sensory acuity. Highly sensitive people process sensory information a different way. If you think about an aperture on a camera, the more closed the aperture, the less light comes in, the wider, <laughs> it, the more light comes in. This is kind of the way I look at it. It's not that our eyes are better. We have a better sense of smell or touch or taste or anything else, or we can hear better. It's that our filter in the brain, this is all in the brain, not at the sensory organ level, mm-hmm. is wide. Is a little bit more wide open. So if you take that into account when you think about overwhelm and you think about ocean, emotional reactivity and you think about our deep processing, we're getting more inputs from the environment than most people do. Right. And that's something that can be extremely overwhelming. You could imagine all the data that that, that you're you're picking up if your aperture is much more open or your filters Mm -hmm. more open. Mm -hmm. And you Mm -hmm. can see for a child that might be overwhelming in and of itself. They're seeing, smelling things. And again, you know, I think as children start growing up, even sensitive children, they start acclimating to, okay, that shirt's scratchy, but I got to live with it because it's the only one in the closet today, you know. But as a child, they don't know what to do with
1: that. Mm -hmm. And
0: And this reminds me of, so I I work in, used to work in a lot of, go into a lot of classrooms, kindergarten, first grade, elementary school. And you would walk into a classroom and it is, I mean, if your aperture is wide open, you are completely overwhelmed with all of the stuff on the walls, stuff hanging from the ceiling and that, just that visual clutter. And so parents, if you are, parenting a highly sensitive child, soften their environment, make their room, like put curtains over the bookshelves, Make take stuff off the walls and have it be a really calming place so that when they are overwhelmed, they do have a place to go that is soft and meets their need to just be calm in a visual way
2: exactly you're setting up when you do something like that even if you can't give them their own room which i was fortunate i had three sisters and i was the only boy so i got a room uh much to myself but if you can't get a boy or a or, or girl for that matter in a room give them a space somewhere in the house where they can go do that thing you're talking about make it nice and quiet a place where they can regroup their brain will naturally reorient itself get it back to where it needs to be but it requires a sort of a, a lack of overstimulation. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to have too many things in there that would cause them to be overstimulated again and just a place for them to retreat, regroup, rest.
0: This episode is sponsored by By Heart. Babies need to eat. And
1: whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about Byheart Heart Baby Formula. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider Byheart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code onboys at byheart.com. That's B Y H E A R T.com slash podcast, and it is 10% off your first order, byheartcom slash podcast. This is a limited time offer, and additional terms and conditions may apply.
0: Winona, menopause care made easy. This is so
1: interesting because as you're saying this, I'm thinking about ways that some of my children, when they were younger, created those spaces for themselves. I I did not know this at the time, Janet, but my Tyler, who's now 20, he had created a little retreat for himself under the front stairs. Very Harry Potter-like, you guys. Very Harry Potter-like. There's a closet there. But if you crawl in a little bit deeper, it's, you know, almost inaccessible space for those of us who are bigger than five feet tall while he was a kid. So he made a little like cozy area in there for himself. And I knew that there was a sleeping bag tucked in there, but we also keep the sleeping bags in that closet. But 20 year old Tyler just recently needed some stuff out of that closet to go somewhere. And he's like, it was all still set up the same. And I didn't even fully know that he had made this place for him. And the other thing he used to do is when he would get really upset, overwhelmed, upset, he would take off, go somewhere. And I know one place he used to go is he would climb this extremely tall pine tree between our house and the neighbor's house. And he would just go up high because he knew nobody else could get him and he could just Mm -hmm. be alone Mm -hmm. up there. And so I learned as his mom, I didn't necessarily understand the why, but- Give him his space and he'll come back a whole lot better than if you try to uh, try to be with him at that yeah. time.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, and I think what's good about that is you teach them that, that this is OK. It's normal. This is not I'm not putting you in a timeout. I'm giving you a mm-hmm. opportunity to rest and relax. That this is something that one day as an adult, maybe they'll take up a meditative practice. Maybe they'll have a room in their house just for doing meditation. Mm-hmm. As you said, Janet, you have it set up with certain maybe icons and things that are p- pleasant uh, for you. Uh, it could have a certain smell. It could have a certain uh, lighting that goes with it, especially for just relaxation and so mm-hmm. forth. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely critical for highly sensitive people to have that space and that, and to be able to, to deal and cope with the overwhelm that is going to happen. It just is gonna happen no matter what yeah. you do.
0: So let's um, open the aperture as you have been saying. A little bit wider to like the the bigger cultural picture, and mm-hmm. I I feel so conflicted because it's like we want more of these qualities in men. Mm-hmm. We want our dads to be you know emotionally available, empathic, all the things, and we're like in this conflict of well we want that, but oh it still needs to look a certain way and. Were I, I really the, with the families that I work with, and I really see the dads being asked to be highly sensitive, even if mm-hmm. they're not. But yet it's so crazy because we are criticizing the ones who actually are.
2: Yeah, we have a very, very confused, outdated, and archaic view of what masculine means. That's really got to change. I really believe that. Uh, the world has been changing, evolving, uh, you know, especially women's roles in the last 40 or 50 years. Men don't have a corresponding update for masculinity.
0: We're trying, um, aren't we, Jen? We're we are trying. trying, trying but...
1: well,
2: I, and it it really does. And it does start by educating our boys and, and having them emulate more positive role models. I mean, I I've seen... Uh, what we call now is toxic masculinity, uh, has really started to affect all men, not just sensitive men, but all men. It is a a recipe for, I think, disaster, uh, if we don't get this straightened out with our men. Um, what, What I've noticed when I was writing the book, one of the demographics that was very disturbing was that one of the fastest demographics for suicide is men over the age of 50. And I think you can probably attribute that to this idea that men are not supposed to be vulnerable. So men don't get help. They don't go to doctors. They don't go to psychologists. They don't go to therapists.
1: They don't talk about it with friends.
2: And they don't even, even amongst themselves. Absolutely, Jim, they don't talk about it to each other. And that kind of holding in is, well, I mean, there's, there's absolutely tons of evidence that that is unhealthy in so many ways and I think we need to start changing now one thing i will say i've been talking a lot with a lot of highly sensitive men that are in the millennial uh gen X gen Z and i'm gonna tell you right now i'm very encouraged because they get it they understand that it's yeah. got to change yeah uh i my generation the ba- the boomers um and older Uh, it's going to be much more of a challenge. But I think the younger generations are really getting that. And this definition of masculinity needs to be more inclusive. And I think one of the other things that I try to emphasize in the book as well was this idea that some of these characteristics that we put in the female bucket some that we put in the mail bucket, they're all human characteristics. They're
1: human, exactly. So yeah. if
2: we should start teaching our kids something new, let's, let's teach them to be more human. Accept the fact that being human means being emotional. It is a human characteristic. It's not something that uh, may be embraced by Hollywood, but the idea is that men should be able to be emotional. They should be, and I want to see more heroes, Highly sensitive heroes. Uh, you, you can be strong. I and,
1: love it. Yeah. Uh,
2: and, and still be sensitive and moving and all that kind of stuff. And I'll tell you one thing. My girlfriend has got me watching Outlander, which is, I think, a big thing with a lot of females. <laughs> but if you notice one thing about uh, Jamie, the, Jamie, the lead male character, he's so is emotional. that he is a sensitive, strong yes. man. That is the kind of character that I'm talking about, right? He's a sensitive, strong man, and you know, I know who else I'm need.
1: thinking of. This is old school, but Pa from Little House on the Prairie, as portrayed by Michael Landon, he Absolutely. was a sensitive, strong man. Absolutely, yeah.
2: they're yeah. they're they're out there, peppered out through the history of cinema. But you have to look for them. I don't like the sort of robotic machismo hero that never makes mistakes, is never vulnerable, never screws up, anything like that. We need to show all of our boys, that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's not the kiss of death to have to ask for directions uh, to get somewhere. It's not the kiss of death not to know where something is in Home Depot. You are, (laughs) there are gonna be times where you're just not gonna know what to do. Good and it's useful to be able to ask.
0: So, I mean, I love this and I I totally agree with you that, you know, millennials, gen, all the gens are changing this picture, absolutely. Mm -hmm and there is still a place where boys are policing each other yes and i don't even know how how we break through that like where did they I, and i'm thinking of this family that i work with their 4-year-old son wants to wear a skirt wants to wear earrings and he's already been able to articulate to his parents that if he will get laughed at if he wears He will be made fun of if he wears those things. And so it's like, it's like, how do we change it on that peer level that's so somehow so ingrained that this four-year-old already knows he's going to get laughed at, that there's other four-year-olds lining up to laugh at him?
2: Yeah, that's really tough because, I mean, how much can you really control somebody else's parenting skills? The reason why I really kind of emphasize this whole business about let's be human, because, Frankly, we are going through a period of time where people are embracing gender fluidity. The old days of everything being binary, this or that, you're gonna fit in this bucket or that bucket. It just doesn't work anymore Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's gonna change. I would think the thing to do is to, and it's gonna take some work, is to work with the child, your your child, the child that's the sensitive one, the child that wants to express their individuality in a different way is to work with them and encourage them to do that. You know, they're going to have problems, uh, you know, with other kids, and they're going to get uh, made to feel like they're odd, strange, or different. The idea is that you want them to be strong and genuine and authentic and who they are. And I think if we all taught our kids to be that, they will tell you who they are Mm -hmm. instead of you trying to shoehorn them into some idea of what a man's supposed to be or what a woman's supposed to be. I think that's really starting to happen. Again, going back to Gen X and, and Z and the millennials, they understand that that's part of their lives as well, and they accept it more, and they yeah. accept that idea. That's where it's going to change. And I'll be honest with you, Janet, I think it's a generational thing. It's, and when I say generational, I mean in terms of time span. This mm-hmm. isn't something that we can fix tomorrow or the right. next day. We start by raising our highly sensitive boys. I think they are good examples of taking them. They're going to be the role models for highly sensitive boys in the future. And I think for other men, mm-hmm. when we talk about wanting to be emotionally in touch with their feelings and aware, be empathetic, nurturing, intuitive, all those good things that come out of highly sensitive people.
1: When we talk about that, the, you know, the peer pressure, that broader scale, Janet, I think, I've thought deeply about this, especially because I have teenagers now. And um, I think part of it is that the shift, this change towards uh, more acceptance of boys who want to do things that were not traditionally considered masculine. The shift is so new that frankly, it's not pervasive yet. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of places where it's still not considered okay. And there are a lot of boys and men (laughs) who they're like, I don't, I'm not going to go all in on this new way of being yet because I'm not sure world that you're not going to turn on me and attack me. And so they kind of continue to to buy into one way of being and, and police each other because, eh, I don't know, look around, still working for a lot of people. And, yeah. you know, I agree with you. It's, it's going to take time. It's going to, be a process. And I have so much sympathy for boys who are navigating this daily in their lives.
2: Well, you know, this kind of ties in with the bullying thing as well. I mean, kids go out there, they be themselves at school, and they may be a little different. And so they get called out by bullies and and pressured. I mean, there are considerations too, you have to take into account for safety of the individual child and so forth. But I think by... Starting to tell them and and talking with them, this is the simple stuff. Every parent can do this, is sit and talk to them about what's going on, develop a strategy about how you're going to be able to do that, but never tell them you're different, you need to conform. And I understand mm-hmm. there's parts of the country, absolutely, I grew up in one, where there is a rigid set of standards you have to follow. But even in those areas, it's starting to change. The change is going to happen. It's not going to stop. There is an effort in this country to hang on to a lot of traditional values, including what a man is, what a woman is. But those things are changing. That train has left the station. Mm-hmm. It's not coming back. Now, for those people who like traditional values, if you or your child, I think, if are comfortable with that, and that fits your paradigm, who you are, you know, and that's authentic and genuine, then I'm not saying you have to be different what being human means is a big bucket and it's an it should be an inclusive bucket and not an exclusive one
0: well said it goes back to what jen and i have said often is that you parent the child you have yes. not the child you hoped to have had exactly and, and that is how you build lifelong, sustainable, trusting connection with your kiddos. And that's what we want as parents.
2: I think that's so true because they will tell you who they are.
0: Yeah. You and just have will. to pay
2: attention. You have to listen. That's it. Yeah. It's a real simple thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Tell us about your book. Um, we've talked about it. I'm not sure we've mentioned the name yet. So I'm going to give you that uh, opportunity and I'll put this all in the show note.
2: The book uh, is named uh, Confessions of a Sensitive Man. Uh, unconventional defense of Sensitive Men, but the idea was that I, I wanted to write a book about my experiences, my thoughts and opinions about that I had been kind of accumulating over the last five or six years, writing a blog about high sensitivity at men. And as I was writing this, things started coming to me, and I w- wanted to also tie in my own personal experiences to these chapter headings so that people could realize I, how I went through it, what I did. And I'm finding a lot of men are reading the book or saying, you know what, you nailed it. You nailed it. That's nice. exactly how I felt. And I, I had some wise person once tell me, he said, well, write the book for you and be authentic and genuine. He says, your audience will find you. And that's exactly what I did with this book. And, and uh, there's another book. The second book will hopefully be out this summer. I don't have a title for it yet, but it's um, it's a follow on. There's a little bit more nuts and bolts about being sensitive and how, how you can navigate that, and what I call tools, all these tools I use nice. to, to, to do
0: that. So, yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a great combo. So, listeners, you can get that first book and then look ahead to the, the nuts and bolts coming to a bookstore near you this summer, hopefully. And yes. so, where can people find you online?
2: I have a website, it's called thesensitiveman.com. That's where my blog is and awesome. uh, uh, any other information that I put out there. I also am the sensitive man on Facebook. Also I'm on Twitter as the sensitive M a one. I couldn't get man on that one. So
0: I got one <laughs> and we'll put uh, all of this in the show notes. And I, you know, I really encourage our listeners to reach out and um, share their experiences. And uh, I just so appreciate you coming on and being willing to share your experiences so that we can all expand our vision of just being human and supporting each other for who they are. There is no right or wrong way to be human.
2: And I want to thank you both for having me on. I think you guys are doing great work. That's very important.
0: Thank you. Thanks for being with us. Jen, and I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation about highly sensitive people. And it occurs to me that you might have a highly sensitive son. And I'm thinking that he might be struggling in school. If he's between fourth and eighth grade, I encourage you to look at PRISMA. A new way to go to school. This is a flexible curriculum that adapts to your child's interests and learning speed. It is for fourth through eighth graders. It's innovative, it's online. Don't you want your kid to have the flexibility to be their best self as they develop the skills to be successful in the future? Admissions for fall 2021 are now live and filling fast. Go to joinprisma.com to schedule a call and learn more. Again, we are Janet Allison and Jennifer L.W. Fink of On Boys Parenting Podcast. If you liked this podcast, if it resonated with you, if you have a friend who might be raising a highly sensitive child, do us a favor, pass it on. Send them the link. Let them know that you can find On Boys wherever you find your favorite podcast. Thanks again for being our listeners.